0: or miss Episode one hundred and sixty eight Hey my riches Today I have for you one of the most enjoyable, fun and inspiring shows with Catherine Parker Magier, who is a travel writer entrepreneur who travelled to six continents, sixty three countries and all fifty states in pursuit of a good story. Catherine is a travel columnist for Forbes and Trip Savvy, and her work has appeared in many publications like Architectural Digest, The Week, The Daily Beast, Business Insider, and many more. When I asked Catherine what her biggest failure as an entrepreneur was, she answered, That's easy. My failure was not taking the first step to be a writer-entrepreneur and to find the career where my natural personality is appreciated. Join me to this very special episode with Catherine Parker Magyar. I look forward to hear your comments and your thoughts about this show. Catherine Parker Magyar, wow, we're here, and I'm so (laughs) happy that you are here today. How are you?
1: I'm wonderful. How are you? You know, as good as I can be in a lockdown, you know, going a little bit crazy, but hanging in there.
0: Yeah, we just started to go out. Today, all the restaurants and hotels finally opened here. So, yeah, I can understand you and I hope uh, very soon you will uh, be
1: released. It makes you appreciate it more.
0: Yes. So great to have you here. I just shared with our listeners what you've done until now. And I would like you to share with us what are you doing and most passionate about today and where are you heading?
1: So today I'm most passionate about because I'm in a lockdown and I've had these amazing experiences over the past. I've been traveling pretty much nonstop for the past two, a little under two years. I went to like 41 countries in 23 months. I really sort of saw so much and I was moving so quickly that it sort of felt normal and then being forced to slow down and take stock of what I've seen. And you know, what I sort of, what I, what I took away from everything, it's been really helpful to be forced inside and reflect. I feel like every single travel experience that I have influences the others. It helps give me like a broader sort of nuanced perspective of like the places I've been and the people I've met and why I don't know, I think that travel ultimately is such a force for good. There's Mark Twain quote, it's like travel is fatal to hatred, bigotry and narrow mindedness. And he was like, man cannot develop charitable viewpoints of humanity, just vegetating in one little slice of the world their entire lives. So Mm. I took that and was like, you know, when I was traveling, I was so invigorated and just constantly, I felt I was just getting constant affirmations of the goodness Of society and people you know it doesn't matter where you are in the world like what I found is people extremely similar and there's just so much beauty and just I had a very optimistic outlook despite you know the political (laughs) turmoil in the United States of America I was not here that much and then coming back and being in lockdown and suddenly I'm not meeting new people and I'm watching the 24-hour cable news network and I'm feeling sort of frustrated I'm feeling I was feeling sort of hopeless and then What I did is, and this was supposed to be a hobby, and now it's turned into what I'm passionate about and what has motivated me moving forward is I started scrapbooking, which is something I never would have had the time to do. So I will just hold on to like airline receipts or like letters that people have written me on trips or photos and stories I've written and sort of compiling them and reliving those experiences. I was like, people need stories Mm. about about the good that's out there in the world. Now I feel almost more than ever. I think there's right. so much about it's easy to be pessimistic and it's easy to fall into some sort of, you know, resigned depression about it. And what, I guess what scares me about this moment in time and where I think travel is important is when there's a, you can obviously see people come together in like a global emergency or a tragedy. Like in Italy, I think that, the you know, the videos yeah. that came, I also spoke to two Italians. They spoke, I should say, each for an hour, roughly, this morning, chattering with them. But like. there was so much resilience in that, in the way that they handled it. Everyone was locked down. It's hard for very social. I mean, the Italians live well. I think we can all acknowledge that whenever I'm in Italy, I'm like every second I'm not in Italy is a mistake, but you know, there was just like (laughs) this sense of like goodness that came out of it. Like people can find the bright spots, but then the flip side of that is, you know, I've seen, you know, my president and like I may call it like the kung flu disease and just like being so racist now that towards asian people and it's like really like we had we had september 11th with muslims we've had african-americans it's just the whole it's like it's so dispiriting and so horrific mm. and i don't know i just think it's i mm. think that it's important for people to realize that like all over the world people are people people are not always their governments you know and mm. everyone's just trying to struggle to stay alive everyone deals with heartache and regret. Everyone has hopes. Everyone has hopes. Everyone, most people enjoy a cocktail at the end of the day, you know, like people, there's Mm -hmm. more that unites us than divides us. So I've been working towards compiling my, my favorite stories from my trips that maybe I haven't written yet. There are some stories that I haven't written yet because they're sort of bigger and I want to compile them into like a book. I mean, a collection certainly I've already sort of done that. Like some of the pieces I've written, have been more personal than others. Like I wrote this, my first trip to, um, to Kenya was one where I truly felt that my perspective on, just my perspective on like the scale of the world changed, which sounds so dramatic. Hmm. But you know, when you're, so, I, I mean, you know, when you're somewhere and you just feel profoundly like hopeful, change, et cetera. I made some friends on that trip who I still speak to every week, you know, and that was a more personal story. And yeah. the Amazon rainforest,
0: how long were you there?
1: I was only there for one week. And I think that that is something that's interesting is a lot of people will be like, well, I have to take two weeks minimum if I'm going to do an Africa trip. Or mm-hmm. I can't go to China for five days. You need to go to China for like 10 days. But I'm telling you like a lot of like, and as a professional traveler, I think the biggest thing is like being in the moment. Honestly, mm-hmm. rallying as much energy as you have because and sort of planning things. Like, I don't know how other people operate, but if I have an empty day in my schedule, it's very hard for me to be like, oh, I just wandered and had a great day. Sometimes I find myself on Instagram or I find myself distracted. I feel like when you, if you arrive in a country, you know where you wanna go. And I think the best example would be, I really wanted to go to Forbidden City in Beijing. And just the way that the timing worked out, we were in Xi'an, which was spectacular. Um, hmm. And then we were in Beijing and, oh, my God, the, the fog lifted, the smog lifted. We went to the Great Wall of China. It was it was like everything I'd ever dreamed the Great hmm. Wall of China would be wow. 10, And the next morning, I knew I had to fly back to, oh, my God, I was flying to New York and then Nairobi that day. But I wow. had four hours and I was like, I need to go. I need to go to the Forbidden City. And my friends who were on the trip, other travel writers, yeah. Like, oh, Katie, you need a you need a full day for that. You can't go just for a morning. Like, you're not going to get anything out of it. And I was like, physically, like, just let me go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, I went with two of our hosts, and the second I'm telling you, the second that I walked through those gates, and I mean, it's so kind of like I felt, I felt history come alive for wow. me in a way that, like my my father, for example, it's very easy for him. We're in Rome, and he'll look at a slab of marble and be like, "Oh, Caesar did this," and then they had they had a really big conversation about like he's so it comes alive from him so easily
0: hmm.
1: and in salmon like i felt like the weight of history and i just felt wow. so inspired by it and i mean by the end of a week in china i was extremely good at you know hmm. navigating the non-q situation you know i like made my way all the way to, the, to like the front towards the throne you know i like explored and i was happy you know at the end of the day like you only have one life If you Hmm. keep waiting to have the perfect time and the perfect amount of money and the perfect schedule to go somewhere, you're never going to go there. Of course. Yeah.
0: How did you start? What is your career path? I know that you started from advertising. How did you come up being a traveling writer? Tell me the story of your entrepreneurship.
1: I hope this story inspires people who feel like, oh, maybe it's too late or they feel trapped because... I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, I remember in fourth grade, I was horrible at math. But in fourth mm-hmm. grade, I like, wrote a poem about how the sun and the rain persuaded a rainbow to stretch its beauty. And my teacher was like, this is fabulous, you know? And I was just like, I love this. And <laughs> it was just something that came very naturally to me. And I loved, and I, I just loved to write. It was something that wow. for me, I feel like I can make sense of my, my own experiences by writing. And I feel mm. like that's what I love about what I love about travel writing, is you know another passion of mine, is is to travel. But beyond traveling, like I always feel like I would come back from a trip, or I always want to share with everyone. And sort of, you know, every there's nothing more boring than listening to another person's vacation. But <sighs> I, but also like I guess the first I was actually in Israel. I went to Israel, Palestine. Jordan. Really? Yes, and it was with my my sister my entire family is more impressive than I am. I have to caveat that. So perhaps they Mm -hmm. should be on this, but she was a Fulbright scholar and living in Amman. And she really, she's now um, getting her doctorate in Middle Eastern studies. And I never been to the Middle East um, before. I've done a lot of travel. Like I've been to all 50 States. I've been to a lot of places, you know, in Europe, et cetera, but landing in, um, landing in Israel. I mean, just the, the level of history, but going from Israel, Palestine, and Jordan, and then just being, you're confronted with these stereotypes and these prejudices that you don't even realize that you have until you are in the middle of it. And you're wondering why am I like when I would hear the call to prayer, the first couple of days I would get nervous and it made me scared. And then I was like, why am I getting nervous? And then I realized whenever I'd heard the call to prayer before in my lifetime, truly, Hmm. it was to symbolize the terrorist attack was coming. And I think you can't, you can't overestimate or overstate how much like, you know, popular culture and dialogue. Like after September 11th, I grew up um, right outside New York City and my area was like one of the hardest hit from the attacks. And I think, I mean, we don't need to go so into politics, but I think that by conflating al-Qaeda with Afghanistan, with Iraq, it became <laughs> sort of the entire region. You know what I mean? And it was just, Definitely. There was, and just being there and what really struck me the most what always strikes me the most and this is like a theme wherever I go it's like the people because the people are the place the people are the story and they're always like I mean I love a good I love a good landscape I love a great city but like there's really it's really meeting like the seeing the customs like seeing like the hospitality and I don't know hearing people tell their tales and what struck me about the Middle East was how kind people are like beyond (laughs) Like I have light blonde hair And my sister was like, listen, before you come here, you need to know that this is like a culture of recognition. And I was like, okay, what do you, like, obviously, she's like an academic. I'm like, what do you mean by culture of recognition? She's like, when you walk down the street, people look at you. Like, people don't pretend you're not there. Like, people, like, will address you. Do you know what I mean? Like, she's (laughs) like, there's just, like, this openness that can be, like, off-putting at first, but, like, it's very warm. And that's just something I found, like, from the second I arrived, like, people were obviously... I never felt unsafe at all, but people were definitely, like, looking at me, because they were like, who's this girl? You know what I mean? And, and it'd be like, sure oh, where are you do. From? Yeah, so it'd be like, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, I'm Rika. They're like, oh, welcome, welcome. I was at this DVD shop, and I was buying DVDs, because my jet lag, I hadn't yet mastered jet lag, and I still kind of haven't. And <laughs> I was picking out some, you know, I picked out, like, a river runs through it, and then the DVD, the man who owned the DVD store was like, oh, what's your, what are your favorite movies? And I was like, a river runs through it. Legends of the Fog, Gone with the Wind. He's like, oh, you love sweeping American dramas. And then he gave me like 30 DVDs. And meanwhile, I'm like feeling a little uncomfortable because I don't even have that much cash on me. And I'm like, oh God, like I need to like tell him to like stop his mission because I really only need a couple. So I said to him, oh, like I love these. Like, I think I'm just gonna take these ones. And he's like, no, please, please keep. And I was Mm -hmm. like, what, why? And he was like, you are Biff's sister. He goes, Biff is the Rose of Jordan please keep, mm-hmm. please have these like just like this is like level of just like like mm-hmm. you can't compliment someone someone's item without someone trying to give it to you do you know what I mean mm-hmm. like exactly. and when, I, when I got back people were like what was it like and I was like people are outrageously outrageously friendly do you know what I mean and like that would yeah. surprise people because honestly I think that this is something that can't be overstated like cultural stereotypes of different races of people are different different ethnicities and different, like, geographical, you know, etc., is, particularly if you're living in America, it's also influenced by the fact that, these, that people have that, it's like people are dealing with their own experience of the United States. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. Like, we
0: talk about that. We, we talk about it. I think we have a feeling in a way that if you fall down in the middle of a street in uh, some of the cities in the United States, nobody will stop to, to help you. Yeah, and uh, but you know, um, one of the ladies that I work with, she's um, fantastic and she's from Boston, and she said, you know, in this coronavirus crisis, everyone is so nice, yeah, so and so kind, so yes, I know the warm culture and really seen people.
1: Yes, but I guess for me, what always motivated me a little bit was. I've always been very curious about how other people experience life. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I've, I've, there, I've always been very interested in other, in other people. I guess I'll give the overview of how I became, how I started as an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, please do.
1: So I went to, you know, I went to college and I was an English major and I mean, I loved it to the point where, and this is illegal and I probably shouldn't acknowledge this, but by senior year, I would help my friends with their papers, like on subjects that they, that I didn't know anything about, you know, like Egyptian art. Like it was just like something that I always really loved. And so after college, there was the whole thing of you should become a teacher and a professor. And I think a life that I didn't live, but that I would have absolutely adored would have been to be, I would like to have been a poetry professor post-World War II American poetry You know, I but I didn't because when I graduated, Mm -hmm. there was this feeling of I don't want to I don't want to go teach immediately. I didn't want to go right back to school. And I got a job in advertising. I graduated in 2009 during the recession when jobs were pretty difficult to come by. And that was the first step. And I think I think that every step of the way makes sense ultimately. And my dad has always told me that because he also is a writer and the same type of writer that I am where his he almost became a travel writer but he leaned more into politics but okay. his motivation for being working in politics and writing about politics was the same sort of like interest in people you know what i mean the same sort of overall i like wanted to feel hmm. when i was working sure. in advertising i wanted to feel fulfilled by it because i was making money and i almost felt like i was like showing up my family because i was the only one with a corporate job you know my mother's an editor my dad hmm. is a journalist My brother's an editor, and I don't know. I think that being surrounded by it, it should have felt feasible, but the idea, after one year of advertising, I swear, the idea of ever becoming a writer, I felt it slip away from me, and I became sort of discouraged, and I would get, this might be inspiring, I was fired from literally every single advertising job I've ever held because I was not good at it, number one. I didn't really care about it, number two, and you can't fake that sort of passion. So I was like Hmm. in this. Rut where I was falling a little bit upward because and here's what I do miss about corporate America and like having a linear role is you know, there's you're you can fit easily into a system. And I was just worried that I would end up being a middle manager, you know, married with children, probably becoming an alcoholic somewhere on Long Island, Mm -hmm. just being like, Oh, I I could have (laughs) done, I could have, I could have done this, you know. But (laughs) what what turns it around for me was I applied to graduate schools. Yeah. And I applied for my master's degree in, you know, literature, which everyone was like, "This is so dumb. There's no reason to get it." But for me, I was like, "I know. I like. It was so important mm-hmm. for me." Number one, yeah. because the second that I applied, so I enrolled. In, I applied to schools in London and New York, and I ended up. The school I ended up going to was truly my last choice. I almost was oh. like, "Do I even want to go?" Was the new school, and thank God I did because I was able in the new school to broaden my repertoire from criticism, which I still love. Like I am the ultimate like English geek, like even now, like writing my travel stories for Forbes, like I will find a way to make like Virginia Woolf relevant to it. You know, but (laughs) at the new school, I was surrounded by a very international um, class. right? And these people were just straight up. They weren't even pursuing their dreams. They were living their dreams by stating it like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a philosopher of Greek antiquity. And it's like, okay, If you're a philosopher of greek antiquity like i i can be a writer you know and being around people who are passionate in a way that shared my passions that (laughs) i have the most wonderful friends in the world but a lot of most of my friends aren't you know travel writers you know we we are we connect on different things so i I finally found this outlet for what i really like at this point it was just writing you know just what i really loved and by the time i graduated I'd written a, a book, which I'm still like. Well, I'm in the process of turning it into nonfiction, but I wrote this book, and then I got this job at Audible, which everyone was like, "This is the perfect hmm. job for you," because they hired me, and they were like, "We're going to capitalize on your experience." I should have known with the corporate jargon, we will capitalize on your on your knowledge of English literature to like do a apples to apples comparison for like our advertising strategy. Like, spoiler alert, I spent the whole time. Hmm balancing budgets and i was just like this is hell you know and I remember I was walking home from work to my apartment you know and everything particularly like I feel like at the end of the day everything always feels like it's hanging by a thread you know what I mean but it's like I'm making enough money to live in this apartment and to go on these trips oh, and yeah. to keep up and it was terrifying to me to remove myself from that structure and that shelter that like everyone else was moving along those lines and there's some safety in it but I just remember just feeling just so devastatingly like if I don't try to be a writer now and sell this book and try to do it, I will regret my entire life not doing it. So like I ended up like I was in my apartment for like five more months. Mm-hmm. And then I moved home with my parents. And I have to qualify yeah. here. I don't regret my 20s living in New York City and like working in um, advertising because I love to socialize. Like I love to live. Like it's not like I'm like, oh, great. I can move home and only write like. You know, I missed, like, drinks on a Tuesday, but, like, I didn't even realize that those were, the sh- those were the sacrifices I was making because just the act of writing made me feel fulfilled immediately. Like, I didn't even realize, like, I'm going to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. At first, I was like, I'm going to try to get a job on staff, which is very difficult for people who are looking to break into, like, the journalism space in the media world. You know, it's hard to get a staff position straight off the bat. And sometimes I feel very lucky. I applied to one editorial assistant yeah. position. And I didn't get it, but part of the reason I didn't get it, they were like, well, you can write for us, which is another tip, I guess, if you're a writer and you want to be an editor, sort of claim that, you know, you're not going to do the work for free. But thank God, because two years later, now I'm like, you know, traveling the world. I'm writing for these great outlets. And I'm just, I've made a name for myself by my own hustle and motivation, which was just driven by passion. Like at first I was just writing about politics and dating, but every single time that I would get a story published I felt immense satisfaction you know even if they were paying me like 20 bucks they'd be like oh my god I'm in pop sugar mm-hmm. I'm in elite daily and then I remember I was in the week and I wrote a couple stories for the week
0: mm-hmm.
1: particularly nowadays like you know you see trends going through definitely going through journalism you know now I feel like with fiction at least there's a there's a tendency to pare everything down like Hemingway on a major diet you know like he walked into the room this was this and not to reach too far with like what your story means you know what I mean to be like this is a story about 32 year olds in Brooklyn who are navigating a friendship fallout no like if I'm gonna be in your head for hundreds of pages and quite frankly Mm -hmm. if I'm gonna be in your head for a thousand words like I want you to go for it you know what I mean you've got my time here you've got my attention like say something you know and I found that like for me like I I don't know Mm -hmm. how to say better like I guess like the story I just wrote a story about learning to scuba dive in Curacao and then I related it to social distancing I related it to the quarantine and then I like made up this whole thing essentially about like how scuba diving and like the way that you're so isolated but then so reliant on others and like the appreciation you have for the world I made it some sort of like statement you know like and people you'd be surprised because I would always wait for someone to be like oh you know like this is it's hard it's a thin line you don't want to go sappy but what I've learned is that if it's genuine emotion like it's really not sappy like people there are a couple things everyone can relate to you know what I mean and I feel like there are a couple (laughs) universal experiences but so yeah so I was writing about just writing but I was trying to get into travel writing because another my other passion growing up was to travel like my I we grew up doing cross-country trips New Jersey California and back and I credit that with like I don't know I feel like I have friends who've like gone to the Alps and they haven't been to the Rockies but like America is huge. And just like as a child, getting a sense of my own insignificance, I feel like is very important. Like I have friends and travel is hard because it can be a privileged thing, but there are ways to travel and there you can travel from your quarantine. You can read books, you can watch movies, you can, there are ways to expose yourself to different cultures. And for me, what I loved about traveling and why I wanted to write about traveling was that I knew that I already had these amazing stories that you know reporters would go out to find just because of the way that you can travel like a travel writer without being one. You know, Mm. like talk to your taxi driver, like be open. You know, be my theory is be curious, kind, and vulnerable. Ask a million questions, be really nice. Like do not get frustrated if someone's late or if something's not perfect, like nothing's perfect. And then make fun of yourself. Like put other people at ease. People want to be relaxed around you. People want to feel appreciated and respected and enjoyed. And like, I think sometimes people are afraid of engaging too much. You know, they're like, oh, is this going to come off wrong? Mm-hmm. What I found is that if you ask, people love to talk about themselves, number one. People also love, I feel like the experience of you coming into like their town, their city, and being like, wow, this is what's so special about this part of the world. Um, it gives people pride.
0: I really love the way you were going, and I think this minute of realizing that everything is in your hands, it's for you to decide what will you do and what kind of entrepreneur will you be. Mm -hmm. What would be your best advice about entrepreneurship, about approaching your customers? What would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listens to us now?
1: So I... My best advice would be a couple of things, but really first and foremost, hmm. some people think that they have to fake it until they make it. And part of faking it is acting like they've got somewhere else to be yeah. or like they're very important already. And what I've found is that if you, I mean, I respond to every single pitch email that a publicist sends me to this day. Like, I, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I respond to everyone. I'm like open and, and excited and polite. And that goes so far Mm, in terms of just like making people want to work with you you want to be someone that people not only like the work that they do which i think is a huge part of it can you deliver the work and obviously for that it's like you have to be willing to put in the hours like i don't know last night i was up all night all night working on this story and i could have written it in like i don't know probably truly 45 minutes but i wrote it in seven i don't know i went so into it but that makes a difference people can tell if you care but then another, I'd say 70% of it is being someone that people enjoy. I think this is life being Hmm. around, be polite, be nice, be excited by the opportunities that are being given to you. Do you know what I mean? Like with Kauai, I, this lady emailed me about a trip. I didn't even answer it. I thought Hmm. it was spam. She responds again. It was like, Catherine, seeing if you're interested in going to Kauai for work. And I literally am jumping. I'm of course I'm interested. And then She's like, well, what stories are you able to write? And I just started in my career. And I was like, honestly, I haven't like I not like I don't have an audience yet, or I didn't have any audience for travel. And she's they still hmm. took me. And Hawaii's like was very difficult because a lot of people want to go to Hawaii sure. on vacation. They took me, she was like, I just knew I just knew you were going to write. And I did. Do you know what I mean? But like if I had my enthusiasm, I feel like broken, you know, like be thrilled to be there. Don't be too hmm. cool. Like, and the same thing happened with Switzerland. And I feel like I was given those two breaks because I was just sort of genuine about it. And also because you have to be willing to start anywhere. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you want to be a writer or you want to be whatever you want to be, you have to first introduce yourself hmm. as that. I know there's a line. The only way to be a writer is to write. Don't wait for someone else to decide what you, what your career is. Essentially, <laughs> sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, you start and nothing is too small. Like, don't be discouraged if you're writing for a blog that 25 people read. Do you know what I mean? Maybe one of those That's what people... happened to
0: you, isn't it? That's what really made the change for
1: you. Yes. Yes. I She read that one of the, I was discovered by the travel industry because a, someone who worked in tourism read an article I wrote in Elite Daily about like, you know, a text message breakup, went to my website and saw that I had like. 70 stories about travel. And she was like, Oh, she's interested in travel too. I want to meet her. Mm Do you know what I mean? But those stories that I wrote, like I wrote them for like ten dollars essentially. And they weren't I didn't think that they were gonna go anywhere, but they did. And what I'm saying is don't wait until the New Yorker knocks on your door to give it your all. And don't don't make the mistake of thinking that the way to show that you're a professional and that you're an expert is to be condescending or judgmental Mm -hmm. or removed. Particularly if you want to work in the travel industry, the people who are the most successful in the travel industry are the kindest Mm -hmm. people who are genuinely interested in what they're doing, you know, and that's, I just find that like, that was rewarded, but I think that the third thing of how to establish yourself is, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you're changing, you're giving up a lot for the chance to like build out your own space. Make sure it's a space that you Mm -hmm. love, because sometimes I... I miss health insurance. Like I miss having a day where I went to work. I had a couple meetings and like I sent emails and I did my stuff and that was it. Like I miss sometimes not having to work <laughs> so hard, sure. you know, but the payoff is so big in the work. And the thing is, is if you pursue a dream, you are going to feel and if it's the right dream, you're going to feel fulfilled okay. immediately. That's at least what I found. And it just it's a it's a self-building thing and have faith in yourself. Truly have confidence in yourself,
0: and the right dream is your dream. It's what you want to dream, isn't it?
1: Yes,
0: Kathy. We'll talk about successes in a minute because yes. I think being able to write and to travel and to do what you dreamt of doing is a success. But we'll talk about it in a minute. I want to ask you, what is your biggest, as an entrepreneur, what is your biggest, most critical failure? The one that you feel that affected your entrepreneurial journey the most or almost the most, it can be before you started to write or after you started to write, anything that you feel that was a big failure that really impacted your journey.
1: So easily my failure before this journey was not taking the first step. You know, like I was wanting to be a writer. <laughs> I was such a cliche. I was a writer who didn't write you know, I was working in advertising like F. Scott Fitzgerald before me, you know, but less glamorous and less, you know, but without the great Gatsby. And Mm. I couldn't imagine myself being a writer. It just seemed impossible to me, even though I knew that I knew on some level that I was good at it, you know, because you you know, if there's something that I could tell when I turned a phrase, I was like, but nobody was reading it. You know, I was In grad school, I was writing about poetry, which I mean, in college, I wrote, I was a poetry major, but you know, not everyone wanted to read about, you know, the death drive. Definitely. I think that people get embarrassed by their dreams because they feel like they will never achieve them. So to talk about them is almost embarrassing. At least that's what I found. I was so repressed about it that I would be 22 out with my friends having a great night and then I would start to cry about how I was never going to be a writer And how I just was never going to do what I really wanted to do, and I, because I, and I felt, I felt it was embarrassing to not be doing what you wanted to do, and I just, the first step towards anything is just to just straight up, just like do it, like find out the next easiest step. For me, when I was in advertising, I knew I was, I should freelance, and you know I think it's like um, Wallace Stevens worked as an insurance salesman and a spectacular poet, and he was able to do Hmm. both. But I really, you know, I, I wasn't able to do both. I need some sort of structure because I am a writer and I need a deadline. Going to graduate school and being around writers got me to tap back into hmm. it. And I know people go back and forth about like advanced degrees. But if you're someone who's nervous about like, if you want to work as an environmentalist, if you want to work in like, middle, if you want to work in diplomacy, if you want to work in politics, like find your people, find your tribe and just start to do it. The failure for me was that I was paralyzed by indecision and I was paralyzed of failure before even doing Hmm.
0: it. Got it. Like
1: I would be nervous about applying for a job if I wouldn't get it. Or I was so afraid of failing at writing that I didn't like pursue it full time. Mm -hmm. Katie,
0: can you tell us the story of your greatest, most significant success as an entrepreneur?
1: I had just started travel writing I went to Hawaii and then I went to Mexico. Yeah, I went on a couple trips and I went take every lunch. Here's another thing: if you're an entrepreneur, take every single meeting. You have no idea, you know, it might not be something you're interested in, but then they know someone who knows someone. I already was interested. It was this meeting with this Satoshi Japan. Yeah, and it was fascinating. And I talked to this woman who is a mentor of mine, and you know, she works in travel, and we spoke about, um, you know, our dream trips. And I was like, I am dying to go to Kenya. I was like, I just I just know I just wanted to go my whole life. And she was like, oh, my God, like I'm working with the Kenya Airways for the first direct flight from New York to Nairobi. Like, I'll keep you posted. And I was like, oh, my God, like so excited. But also, like, how would I be on this trip? Do you know what I mean? Like I little do I know, like she emails me and it's sort of vague because, you know, I, I didn't know if it was going to happen or not just because, you know, I was just starting out. As long as I got this trip invitation, yeah. partially because I connected with this. I went to Kenya and it was the most spectacular trip of my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like I landed, we met the deputy president. It was a huge moment. We traveled the countryside. And then that was a huge peak for me because after being in Kenya, it was like, okay, like this is, I'm at a, I'm at a point where I was given this chance, right? I was given this great opportunity and I felt so much pressure. What are you going to make of it? What's your story cannot be 10 things to pack for a safari. So I, like, was laboring over the story. I was like, this has to be the most, like, the most, like, captivating, you know, empathetic and just, like, amazing story of all time. Like, I wanted the experience I had to be on the page. I labored over it. I labored. And I really, I was writing for Britain Co., which is a millennial publication. And here's another thing, too. Like, the medium, I loved writing for Britain Co. People got hung up. Like, oh, well, you know, they write. Oh, I, if it's a publication that will write about the 10 best lip glosses, I don't have to give it my all. I always give it your all. My Kenya story was like the pride of Africa. Why now is the time to go come home to Kenya. Hmm. And I was worried about all these things. It was me. White girl goes to Africa. Like I was just worried about and it did ruin my in that piece. And I think it established Like I felt proud when it was published. I felt really proud of the reaction. You know, and, I, and that's when I started getting like emails from other people who like work and travel who are like, I don't like I cried reading it. You hmm. know, And I really went for it, you know. My last sentence was like, you know, Kenya like, is where we first learn to become human. Like maybe it's where we need to return to, to feel human again. You know, like I went, wow. I went for it and it worked, you know.
0: Do you see the success as your ability to go to Kenya or the story that you wrote about it at the end of the day?
1: The story I wrote, I think that having that experience was spectacular. And that was like, you know, it was a step and I was given a once in a lifetime moment, you know, like, here you are, an editor's going to pay you for this, someone flew you there, do you know what I mean, on the first, direct, it was the first direct flight from New York City to Nairobi, It felt monumentous, mm-hmm. like the speech that was given by the, by the deputy president, it was huge, you know, like, it was, because it's, a, it was a big moment for, like, East Africa, America relations, but also, it was a big moment for, for Kenya, and for travel, and for, sure. suddenly, this place is more accessible, and I wanted to, and I felt like, you know, I could have done it, and, There's so much that's written online these days. There's so much written these days that it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. And honestly, like for me, like there are people who are probably more fiscally successful than I am, who maybe influence or maybe do different types of stories. They're rich. They're making more money, but they're not having this. They're not telling the same types of tales. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they're not going to get the same type of experience of. It was the story I wrote. It was like, I want to be a travel writer. I went to Kenya. I'm going to deliver this story. And you're now going to want to take me to Nepal. Do you know what I mean? You're going to want to take me to New Zealand. Like, this is my worth, you know?
0: I do know. And I understand what you're saying. And do you have the piece that you wrote about Kenya? Do you want to put the link to that in the show notes?
1: Yes, I will. I will. That's
0: great. So, Katie, can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to your entrepreneurship, your entrepreneurial job? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for something that really helps you do what you feel that as an entrepreneur you're meant to do and succeed.
1: Honestly, Squarespace was a godsend like I had a wordpress but building a website that looks engaging put your personality into it your website is you it's your digital footprint you know what I mean and I feel like having a professional looking one or having an enthusiastic looking one is going to open doors for you so I probably spent I'm not kidding like 10,000 hours on that cumulatively do you know what I mean like I would always be updating I'd always be fixing it i
0: love this recommendation really i think it is a very important tool i do love that it's huge it is
1: i know writers who are spectacular spectacularly accomplished writers but i have to like search for their stuff do you know what I mean i go to their website and i'm mm-hmm. like this looks like this doesn't this doesn't embody you and all your work like and like this is another part social media i was very afraid to share my stories at the beginning on Instagram, on Facebook, because I was nervous. What if people wrote read it and thought I wasn't a good writer? I was like shy. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, you know what? If you aren't proud enough to share it, who will? And then I blast it. I get one thing published. You know what I mean? Like I wrote, I just wrote a dozen stories on St. Lucia, which are amazing, mm-hmm. right? I wrote one about, but even whether it's like in-depth, like story on St. Lucia or it's the best 10 best hikes, I'm putting that everywhere. Like, and I'm sharing that and it helps Get people to know that you're working all the time. I feel like people think I'm almost more productive than I am because, Mm -hmm. you know, when I have something, I share it, you know, but also like your website establishes that you are what you want to be, you know, and then tools that have helped me, my (laughs) Gmail, color code your inbox. And this is going to sound so tedious and I assure you it is, but I found it soothing. Every single time I get an incoming email from someone who's never emailed me before, I file their email address away under like public relations, like editor, blah blah, blah. and then I give them a different color label. So I can look, Mm -hmm. say on top of it, because when you're an entrepreneur, you're going to get emails from your friends. You're going to get logistics about a wedding. You're going to get your flight confirmation an assignment, your payment, everything all in one place. And you're going to, if you're a creative person, I mean, I'm much better at, you know, coming up with a story than I am about. I think it's a
0: beautiful advice. And this, really practical. I'm going to use it.
1: And Grammarly is Grammarly is a godsend. I love it. It is this app and it is a grammar app, but it's critical of you a little bit. It's like editor looking over my shoulder. It just gives me a second feeling of, yeah. of confidence in my work. So even if you're not a writer, but like you have a big email, like I run it through Microsoft Word and then I run it through Grammarly.
0: I live with Grammarly because I'm not a native speaker.
1: Oh, my God. Yes. Same. I love it.
0: But I love you saying that because English is your native speaking language and you still use grammar and I love that.
1: Oh, my God. Yeah, well, because it's hard because my style of writing is, you know, it's like, oh, I've got the second eye on it.
0: Yes, yeah, sure. you know exactly what you're talking about. You know, there are many factors that affect one's success. However, I believe that for each of us, there is really one factor that helps you succeed and I want to ask you what is your one key success factor
1: so my key success factor now was my key lack of success earlier so I think the best advice from my dad was like there's no such thing as rock bottom you know what I mean he's like if you have a creative career you're gonna have rungs up and rungs down it's finding a place where your natural personality is appreciative like I'm informal talkative I can be a little bit like I can be a little bit late sometimes. I can be a little disorganized, a little bit spacey, but very enthusiastic and just sort of those traits yeah. have worked for me in this career. Like I feel like I'm finally in a job where like exactly who I am as a person, mm. it's rewarded. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like while I was in a corporate environment, I it didn't work for me because I wasn't able to be serious enough when I when I was supposed to be, and I wasn't able to be like joking around at the water cooler when I wasn't <laughs> supposed to be because I wasn't in tune with it. But, like, you know, when I'm traveling and writing, it's something I'm naturally passionate about. And enthusiasm is contagious. And here's an important thing. Never act. I think never acting like you're above anyone else. Don't be snobby. Like, Mm -hmm. I think that has been a huge factor of my success. Like, a huge part of my stories is that I make friends on trips. It doesn't matter if they're, like, the culture of tourism in Peru or my taxi driver In Barbados like those are you know those are my friends and like those are people that like I've they share stories and maybe that even sounds snobby saying it like that but I wouldn't even think to say it like that if I hadn't seen how other people treat people who are working with them or for them on trips like be grateful be nice like it's like you said before
0: don't fake it until you make it just be yourself and be kind yes
1: And people are going to be impressed with you. Yes, people are impressed with kindness Hmm. and people, it's a beautiful thing in the world and there's not enough of it. That's right.
0: Hmm. My last question before I will ask you what is the best way to connect with you. My last question is my mountain question. And as my listeners already know, I've been always imagining this journey of marketing, of building a perception in the mind of the customer, building a brand, creating the awareness, and then the know, like, and trust, and then really leading some perception in the mind of the customer, I've been imagining it as climbing a mountain. And at some point, I started to ask my guests, and that's what I'm asking you, whether you ever climbed a mountain or wish to climb a mountain. Oh, do you have any relationships with mountains at all?
1: Yes, this is such a perfect question, actually, because hmm. I mean, I, I credit like sort of my fascination with travel to yeah. the Grand Tetons, the mountains in Wyoming. So growing up, we would always go out there hmm. and we would camp. And my mom, who is like a little bit more reserved than I am. So as a child, I had a harder time connecting with her. Now we're very close. But, you know, she was a mystery and we were jumping OK, so we're at this like mountain, this freezing lake mm-hmm. right beneath like the foot of these insane glaciers, like glacially top mountains. Wow! And it's so cold. And my mom strips off her fleece in her bathing suit, Whoa. jumps in this like negative zero degree water. And I'm like, oh, my God. And my mom is like, get in the water, <laughs> Kate. Come on. get. She was like, you don't want to be the girl who doesn't get in the water. And obviously I think about that all the time. Jump in. I'm lying with my mom. The mountains are overhead. She's looking in a hawk flies back by, and she goes, "It's moments like this where you can believe that a god exists." And I've never forgotten it because I knew exactly how she felt. Whenever we see this mountain, she cries, and just like that sense of childlike wonder and joy and awe, I think that that's the happiest, most pure moment and the most rejuvenating moment in the world. So for me, you know, the mountains—it's great to compare it to your career and entrepreneur because, you know, it's it's majestic and intimidating yeah but it's also I don't know maybe my metaphor is going weird here but first time I climbed a mountain I was in Peru and I did the Austin Gata track with with REI it was my so full disclosure I <laughs> I said that I was in great shape which is like hilarious because if you define like two martinis and like not exercising as great shape I was like an Olympian but you know it was a, it was supposed to be a very challenging track like there isn't a lot of oxygen and you're you know, like backpacking magazines and shape and stuff. And I didn't have hiking boots until three days before because I didn't realize, cause they'd sent, like, they'd told us what to, what to buy and pack. And they never mentioned shoes. <laughs> and then they were horrified. They were like, Oh my God, like, Oh my God, you have to buy them to break them in. And there was all this concern. I buy the shoes the first day on the track. I'm so tired. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, am I going to be like ridden down on a llama? Like, am I going to be the weakest link? And I have to tell you something, every day, and this is what your career is like, you just wake up, you put one foot in front of the other. Oh,
0: I love you saying that.
1: You know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, oh, my God. But then by the end, I swear to you, four days in, I was bouncing off the walls. I was drinking pisco Sours. I was like, I was the fastest one on this Whoa. mountain. And like, people were like, really happy for me. But it was astounding because I wasn't, that's not how I present myself. Like, I got in touch with like myself in a way. Yeah. And I, like, it was so beautiful. And the people we were with, we were with working with and Lodges and we were with the Minister of Culture in Peru. It was a huge moment for, you know, just the Peruvian people in terms of, like, it's pretty much communism above 15,000 feet up there. Mm-hmm. Like, the money that you spend on these tracks yeah. goes to the whole village. And, like, they build, like, women's clinics, like, kindergartens. And, like, you're giving back, but, like, you're also experiencing, like, their religion, like, in real life. Like, it is so spectacularly beautiful. And just, like, It was, it was life changing. I'm actually writing that story, finishing it after we finish this. (laughs) So that's my mountain story. Katie,
0: what is the best way to connect with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch?
1: So I'd say Instagram, like I share all of my stories and trips on there. It's at Catherine Parker Magyar. Um, and I, I don't know, my, my social media presence, I try to keep it very off the cuff in the sense of when I see something, I show it versus getting, you know, I try not to get too like curated and too, I try to make it not too much about me. I want whoever, like the, I don't know, whoever is following along to feel like they're there. So definitely that is a, is a cool way to follow along. But also my website, www.catherineparkermagyar.com
0: And we will have these links in the show notes of this interview. Katie, I would like to thank you so much for coming here and for sharing these amazing stories with us. You are, as you probably know, a different kind of entrepreneur. And I'm really happy that you came to share this with us. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. It was so nice chatting with you. And <laughs> thank you.
0: Thank you. And take care. Bye-bye.
1: You too. Bye.
0: Bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, it all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss show the podcast
1: for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com.
0: See you next week.